Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I've, I've always felt that younger people had the luxury of failing because at a younger age, if it doesn't work, you know, you can always try something else. But when you're already at 40 and you have kids by the time, you just don't have uh, a lot of options because, you know, you cannot just take a lot of risk anymore. Since we have sort of like, a, we almost did like a reboot of our entire system. It's like we reset everything, right? And it's almost like we're starting from a clean slate. So for a lot of people, I think this is a great opportunity. You have nothing to lose. You know, a different business model and finding people to work with you. And good evening. Welcome to the RJ Ledesma podcast. It's our second week in the third round of ECQ, which we are not sure yet if it ends up this week or next week. Let's just pray for the best, my dear friends. Anyway, in the RJ Ledesma podcast, I interview the country's pioneering business personalities and entrepreneurs Learn more about how they think about business, what are their success secrets, and can we hack those success secrets as well? How have they innovated their businesses during this pandemic? And more importantly, what opportunities do they see emerging in the new normal and the next normal? Now, is there a business personality or entrepreneur that you would like me to interview here on the podcast? Please let me know. Drop me a message. We are also live right now on Kumu, CBRC TV, Global Pinas TV, and now the Bounce Back Network. Getting on to our guest here for this evening, I've been wanting and waiting to interview him for the past couple of months. But you know what? It was worth the wait because if I interviewed him a bit earlier on, he would not have been able to share this great piece of news to me about his company. And tonight, I'll be talking to the CEO and CTO of Dragon Bay Corporation, also the founder at the same time. I wonder, as CEO and CTO, kung dalawa yung bayad sa kanya pagdating sa salary. We've got Robertson Chiang, and Robertson Chiang and Dragon Pay recently made headlines for its strategic investment coming in from their from their partner, an Indonesian-based company called Sendit. Now, Dragon Pay is a pioneering Filipino financial technology company that has been operating in the market for over eleven years. So. Uh, still a startup uh, at, at this point, no? And always with that agile startup mentality. In a press release, Chiang or Dick rather said that this joint initiative together with Sendit was motivated by their shared mission of empowering Filipino businesses and addressing the ever-growing payment needs of the Philippine market. Now, I just want to find out how exactly will this investment help the use of digital payments grow here in the country Please welcome my good friend, Mr. Dick Chiang. Dick, thanks so much for joining me over here on the RJ Ladesma podcast. My pleasure. Uh, very excited to be here, finally. <laughs> finally, finally. Thanks again. Thanks so much for joining us. You know what? 
I think Dick, I'm not sure, but you have to let me make sure if our memories, if my memory serves me right. The first time we met was in Hong Kong. Was that right? Yes, it was uh, for the Rice, uh, the Rice Conference. Uh, yeah, and uh, it was it was really uh, you know it was a good conference, and at the same time got to meet uh, a few friends, especially you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. And the, the interesting thing is that I met actually a lot of good friends from that time. That's my first time to actually attend Rice. And when I did, that's also when I met people like uh, uh, Ray uh, Refundo, Edison Refundo, yes. <laughs> and all these different people. And that was my first real in and uh, my first real introduction into the uh, tech startup ecosystem. And you know, that's like maybe 2016, 17. You're looking right now. My God, how big our ecosystem locally has grown no, since that time. Yeah, a lot of things have changed, uh, and I guess especially with the pandemic, uh, the fintech community has really stepped up. And uh, we have, you know, the, the industry has really significantly grown. And I'm sure you have also felt it as well with your uh, other ventures. No, that's right. Um, they often say that, you know what, um, what accelerated the digital transformation of businesses and consumers during this time, or rather businesses, no? Is it the CEO, the chief technology officer, or COVID, right? So COVID is the <laughs> chief culprit which, which really uh, pushed things forward. Now, having said that, Dick, no? Uh, we get people listening to our show right now who come from different backgrounds. There are obviously, obviously some listening to us with a heavy uh, tech or tech startup background. So all the jargon which we might throw over here, they will easily understand. But there are others, you know, they're, they're aspiring entrepreneurs or just business people who want to get a better understanding of, of, of what you're doing and how, how maybe it can help them out. Um, if you were to explain to people ex exactly what Dragon Pay does, can you help us... Uh, Put it into, I guess, layman's terms. DragonPay basically focuses on uh, what we refer to as alternative payments. So these are, you know, different ways by which people can make purchases online, whether it be through online banking, uh, e-wallets, mobile wallets, or even physically over the counter through convenience stores, supermarkets, and so on. So we allow people to buy things or order things online, but they pay for it through alternative means. And usually by alternative, we mean as opposed to credit cards, which is... Uh, how people normally buy things online. So okay. uh, I think when you introduce us, uh, you mentioned that we have been around for 11 years. So if you try to imagine back 11 years ago, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was really you know the start of you know the, the the cash cash pinoy and the metro deal and the insogo of the world. So so it was very early days, and uh, we saw an opportunity by which you know people didn't really have credit cards and yet they wanted to avail of all these deals. So we saw we saw this and. At that time, we felt it was seen to be like a niche market wherein we provide alternative ways for people to buy these deals. And I guess, lo and behold, it turned out to be not a niche market after, after all, uh, considering that uh, banking penetration in the Philippines is very low and, and That's right. uh, credit card penetration is dismally low. So people really needed an alternative means by which they can uh, buy or, or pay for uh, products or services online. And that's basically how DragonPay started. It's funny if you think about it, like 11 years ago, people go, they will practically, I mean, for me, no, I hope you don't my part, they, they will even dismiss the idea it's not a priority here right now. 10 years and a black swan event later, it's like, this is the most important thing that we need uh, <laughs> exactly. to, keep, to keep the business going, Dima. And I guess it's a good thing that, you know, the, over the years, we have slowly started to get into it because, you know, if this happened overnight, I would, we would probably be scrambling. So we have the Lazadas and the Shopees to thank for uh, prepping us for, for pandemic because when pandemic hit, everybody knew how to buy groceries online and everything down <laughs> to pet food, you get it online. 
Exactly. Now, having said that, I want to go back a bit more to you know explaining how you came through this process because it's so always it's always so insightful and instructive to explain to people you know what were the pain points that led to that one, how did you discover it, and then finally how did you try to address it in a unique fashion? And we'll we'll talk about that in a bit. But the bigger story here, really, right now, Dick, is wow. I mean, send it, send it. Uh, coming in, making a strategic investment over here uh, in, in DragonPay. I guess the first thing that I want to do is I want to step back. I mean, aside from just the amount of money, really, what does it signal to all of us that Sendit made a strategic investment into a, into a Filipino fintech company? Give us a better idea of like, just why is this deal very significant? Not just for, the, not just for your company, but rather you know, for the Philippine, I guess, startup and fintech ecosystem in general. Well, it's significant because I, you know, when you look at the news, especially for startups, usually we see that the funding, you know, they would go to Indonesia or even Vietnam, and there's not a lot coming here to the Philippines, uh, which is very strange considering that you know we're the second most populous country here in, in ASEAN, next to Indonesia, uh, and a lot of English-speaking people, uh, and you know, a lot of good developers here, but for some reason, investors tend to skip the Philippines in favor of our neighbors. So I think this is a big, how do you say it? It's like uh, an affirmation that uh, the Philippines is ready, uh, the local economy is growing, and that there is uh, expected you know, huge growth locally for people to invest here. So I think it's a, it's a landmark event, uh, for, for me at least, that, uh, that foreigners are seeing the Philippines as a viable uh, country to invest in. How did it feel? Because I mean, I'm thinking about it right now. Your 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 second. This is like your Series C. So it meant it meant that for those people who aren't you know uh, too much into the jargon, means that they had seed investors, then they had a Series A, B, and then a C. Right? How does it just feel to you in the sense that you know your Series B investor is actually UBX, which is a local uh, a local company, local VC or a local uh, venture capital firm. And now you've got somebody like Senate coming in. I mean. The, the it, it's it's I mean of course it's it's always great to be invested in but now that you have somebody extended how did it feel to you did they did they reach out to you and what were your initial sentiments when when they when they when send it was you know sending sending signals <laughs> when they approached us actually they the the person who approached me rather did not uh, disclose who they were so uh, the person only said that you know there's this big company uh, well funded by Silicon Valley VCs uh, and they're interested in you. So it, it took a little bit actually of exchanging of information back and forth for like a month or two and then pandemic hit. So uh, the, the negotiations got protracted a little bit, uh, and, but it wasn't until like, a, like two, three months later since that first initial discussion when we even knew who the, the potential investor was. Uh, but but for, for me, you know, it's, it's pretty exciting. Uh, you mentioned it's a Series C. So for those who are not too familiar, again, with, with the jargon that we use, it, it's basically like a third round of uh, investors coming into the company. Mm -hmm. So DragonPay started 2010, and our first investor was a, a Jap Japanese VC back in 2014. So we were four-year-old at the time, very small, but uh, profitable and growing. Uh, so for, for me, that was a big deal. Even though they only got a very small stake in the company, for me, it was uh, a la also uh, a landmark you know, turning point. It was an inflection point uh, simply because I, I felt that, you know, hey, finally, someone actually outside of myself believes there is really a value <laughs> in the company. And, and, and you, know, you know, a friend of mine told, told me before that, um, you know, entrepreneurs, we tend to put 
so much value in our own company. Like we say, oh, we're worth this much. We're worth 100 million or we're, we're worth a billion. But all of these numbers are just theoretical. And unless somebody actually writes a check and, and put you know, it in front of you, it doesn't really become real. So for me, when the Japanese investor came in and basically gave real money, it sort of validated, at least in, in real terms, in real money terms, that, hey, this really seems serious now. Uh, uh, you know, a guy from, from Japan sought me out, you know, specifically asking for, for referrals to specifically talk to me. And, you know, he wow. learned about me. So, so for me, that was a big thing, even though the amount was small. And, as you, and then 20, 2020... So, this, this, uh, the, yeah. this guy, this, the, the Japanese investor actually looked for you. He sought you out yes. because, I mean, at the time, you were, I guess you were privately held. You were, were, you, were you out looking uh, for an investor or, or they no, just we, came, we they just came we, to you? Yeah, yeah, we were we were pretty much uh, profitable. To be honest, we were profitable from day one. Uh, we were really spending money conservatively. You know, not outspending. We're not spending more than what we were earning. So it was a very traditional conservative business model. Very unlike uh, models today, especially in fintech, where people tend to burn a lot of VC money to grow quickly and to get mm -hmm. an economy of scale. But back mm -hmm. then, it was really a slow conservative uh, business model. So I was surprised that somebody, you know. He asked for a friend of a friend of a friend to reach out to me. And then he flew in. We met a couple of times. You know, we talked for like almost like a year before we actually sealed the deal. That was my first taste of outside money. And then and, UBX came along and then finally yeah. sent it. So how do you just feel like, for example, when he, when he, when he, when he put that uh, money into the company, um, I hope you don't mind me asking, did you need the money at that time or you didn't need the money? No. Or was it just more like you were taking it for as a validation or like preparing yeah, for it, the future to tell people like, hey, you know what? Our company is, is something that could be of, of, of international caliber. That's why people are investing in it. Exactly. Exactly. As you, as you put it, uh, we did not need the money. Uh, we, but I took in the investment one because it's sort of, again, sort of validate uh, that, hey, we're somebody now. And uh, the second main point why we did at that time, back in 2014, was I felt we did not have enough credibility. Uh, but for me to be able to say that, hey, we're backed by you know, Japan's largest payment gateway, it carried uh, weight when, I, when we started presenting ourselves to local companies. Because, because at the time, you know, when I talked to somebody like an Ayala Land, Ayala Land would say to me, how do we know that you're not going to run away with our money? You know, mm -hmm. we're huge, you're small. So it helped if I had a story to tell by which, you know, hey, we may be small, but we are backed by, you know, Japan's largest payment gateway. And, and when, I guess when people know that you have a, a VC behind you, it puts a little bit of, of trust because they know that someone else is at least auditing your books. Because I without see. it, you know, like you could be, just manufacturing your numbers or you could actually be bleeding money and running out of money anytime soon. But when you say that you have a VC, at least there's sort of a level of comfort that people know that, hey, somebody actually did a due diligence of this, of this company and they found it worthy to put money into. Wow. So but, uh, it's like, it's more of a, it's more of an outside, it's like a, it's like a signaling system. It's like, you're sig it's a signaling to the others, hey, uh, we're credible. And at the same time, uh, we are primed for growth. We're open to investors, we're primed for growth. Right now, tell me a bit more. Um, 2014, and then eventually UBX uh, also invested in a technically what is a Series B, you know, a second round mm -hmm. of, of investments. How did that? How did that come about for you? Were you like you said, you were already profitable at the start, and then uh, UBX came knocking at your door? Is that right? Or UBX made made uh, hmm. uh, made, it, made itself known to you that it was looking into investing into you? Because I know UBX is basically a fintech play, right? It's a they're developing fintech platforms for everybody. 
Well, UBX is uh, also primarily like the venture arm of the Aboitis Group, uh, of Union Bank. Uh, so we were doing business with Union Bank, I think, since almost the start back in 2010. So, you know, it, it has been something that, um, you know, we're, we were quite comfortable with each other already by the time. We were doing a lot of business with each other. Union Bank was both a... Uh, a service provider to us as well as one of our biggest customer. So, you know, it's like one day I, I, you know, I got a, a, a call from, uh, RV Devera, who's, who's one Ooh, of the, RV, yes. the, the, yeah, the, the, their fintech head. At that time, he was still running business development. So, you know, he invited me for coffee and he, so, and he told me, Hey, we're putting up this, uh, we're considering putting up, uh, you know, like a spinning off a uh, venture arm and we're interested in, uh, investing in you. So what, you know, like, what do you think about it? And this was actually like 2018, I think, or 2017. So it was uh, a long uh, discussion. It was a long courtship before we actually eventually uh, agreed to do the the second round with UBX. But by that time, we were quite comfortable with each other already. Union Bank was not um, like an outside, was not an, an outsider. Uh like, again, we've been doing business for them for so long uh, that it it really felt just like you know we're we're just formalizing the the marriage. It's like you know we've been girlfriends for boyfriend girlfriend for a long time. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I was thinking actually. Naglilive in so just na lang. I see, I see. Then finally, I mean, Zendit came in, and like you said earlier on, they, it was an unsolicited, unsolicited offer again to you guys for for Zendit to come in. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was. Yeah. Now, for those who might not know, no, uh, maybe you can give us a bit more background of Zendit. Actually, Zendit is uh, is a Southeast Asian company as well. It's a Southeast Asian startup as well. Maybe you can give us a bit of a background so people can appreciate, you know, why why Zendit coming in, not just because they're investing, but who they are made it such an important sort of move uh, for you guys here in, uh, in, in DragonPay. Even though Sendit is a Jakarta-based company, I think we have to keep in mind that it is pretty much a Filipino company as well. They have been here in the Philippines for, I think, a good couple of years already. And although they have been operating major low-key, uh, we were quite impressed actually with the, the technology stack that they have. And I guess in the technology world, when you come in later, you always have that advantage of having newer stuff, whereas the older players, we're sort of stuck uh, having to support legacy technology simply mm-hmm. because there's a lot of people using it already. But when you're starting yes. new, you, you know, you get to do a lot of, of really cool stuffs. And, uh, and to be honest, I, I think they have a really, really great uh, technology stack with them. And we're very happy to integrate it and see how uh, the merger of our business and technology will, 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 you know, will bring, uh, benefit to the Filipino community. And it's also Y Combinator, one of the top Y Combinator companies, isn't that right, Sandit? Yes, it is. So Y Combinator is, is like uh, an accelerator, start, it's like a startup accelerator program uh, out of Silicon Valley. And when you graduate from it, uh, of course, it, it, you, you get a pick from the t- top investors there. And uh, Sandit is really primed to grow the business here in, uh, in Southeast Asia. And uh, it is something that I am also very excited in because I've always believed that even though uh, payments tend to be very hyper-local, and this mm-hmm. is a shared philosophy between us and Sendit, payments are very different from country to country. You, you cannot mm-hmm. really 
you know, it's like the M-Pesa. When M-Pesa was going wild in Tanzania and Kenya, everybody in the world tried to follow it. But let's be honest, nobody made it work outside of Kenya and Tanzania, right? So uh, now everybody's looking at the Alipay model and the WeChat Pay model in China. Will it happen anywhere else in the world? It's hard to say because, again, every country has a very different culture, very different way of paying things. And, and I guess this is where uh, Sendit and Dragon Pay share a common philosophy that payments are going to be very hyper-local. We have to support local payments. We have to support the local mentality of the way people make their payments. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. At, at the same time, uh, we know that, pay, that the world is getting smaller. Cross-border is happening. So everybody has to eventually go re- regional, if not global. And uh, I've always aspired that one day, Dragon Pay, you know, we can't be the big fish in the small pond forever. We, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, there's a very big pond out there and, and partnering with uh, a larger regional play made a lot of sense. Still thinking of what career is best for you? My name is Pat Soyo. Check out my podcast where we answer questions and debunk job descriptions by interviewing professionals so we can put an end to our career search. This is Job Defined. Available on wherever you listen to your podcast. Powered by Podcast Network Asia. I'm just curious, when you talk about hyperlocal, no? um, because we live in a country, we really can't see what makes it idiosyncratic the way that our payment system works versus other countries, right? What makes our your payment system, I guess, uh, hyper-local that, you know, they had, you know, if somebody else came in, they can't exactly do what you're doing because they might have figured it out abroad, but when they come here, they're going to be stumped by the way that we, 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 we do. <laughs> we, we, we use money or we pay. The, the, well, the Philippine, uh, the Philippines has always been a cash-based society prior to pandemic, of course. So back in 20, before 29 and earlier, cash was really king. Uh, 75% or 70 to 75% of our volume was really cash. So that means for an outsider who thinks that everything can just be swiped uh, with a magnetic card or scanned with a QR code, they were faced with the harsh reality that in the Philippines, everything was moving through cash. Uh, but of course, going to 2019, going to 2020 with the pandemic, a lot of things has really changed with the way Filipinos uh, make their payments. So uh, today, we're seeing the complete opposite. We're now about 70% uh, online banking and e-wallets and only about 25 to 30% is still cash. Uh, hard to say whether people will go back to the old cash habit once the pandemic is over, knock on wood or whether the habit is really here to stay and that we have somehow skipped that huge uh, uh, divide uh, and cross over so quickly because of the pandemic. Well, did it help in your negotiations that when the pandemic happened, because uh, you were negotiating before the pandemic, all of a sudden <laughs> the pandemic happens and wow, explosion in, in, in online payments. Yeah. Was that, was uh, that to your advantage? I, I'm just, I'm not just me presuming or just guessing. Huh? Not really, probably really not. But, but, but yes, the transaction, I cannot really complain with the transaction increase over the pandemic period. Uh, to give you an idea, 20, our 2019 volume and 2020, if you compare it, we grew almost three times. Uh, wow. in volume and then so far from 2020 to 2021 we're on track to double again in terms of transaction volume 
So, wow. uh, para six, so, para yeah, six so, X yan talo, para six X yan talo ito, di ba? Yes, since 2019. Yes, so uh, it, it's it's been a wild ride. <laughs> yeah, but it's like you actually were sort of like preparing for this opportunity, and the situation just sort of accelerated it, I guess. No, I guess nobody could have really thought that this would happen. And, and to be uh-huh. honest, we were perfectly happy with our growth from 2017 to 2018 to 2019. You know, we were growing every year and I was really satisfied already. You know, but never in my wildest dreams would I have thought that a pandemic would happen and things would even, you know, increase further. Oh, no. No, having said that, no, there are also other people here who are listening right now and, and they're very curious right now. I mean, they're saying, wow, how do I make myself? I mean, they're saying, for them, some of them, for a startup, you know, getting invested into is something that's very key. But, you know, we also know, pe- we also know people saying, like, um, yeah. you have to watch out for your partners. You've got to have shared values. You've got to have this one. You've had three sets of partners across three different rounds. Uh, what would, I guess, be your advice to, to, to smaller startup players who are already, you know, considering getting investors to come in to help them grow their business? What should they be looking for? And what are the watch out as well? Because I'm sure that, you know, You've also had other people come to you, but you've also said no. Uh, but that's a very interesting question, actually, because I, I guess some people, when they put up a, a company, at the back of their head, there's already that exit plan that, hey, I'm going to put this up. In a couple of years, I'm going to sell it. I'm going to bring an investor, and then I'll have a lot of money, and I'll go and, I'll go and retire. Uh, I guess that was never really uh, a consideration that I had from the start. Okay. Uh, again, we grew very traditionally, very conservative business. If the company could go on forever and just earning money, we didn't really even have to bring in investors. Uh, so in that sense, I guess I was not really out looking for people to bring in money and then, you know, we have to compromise certain things. So we got to be, we, we got the, the luxury, I guess, of uh, picking and choose who we wanted to get married to. Uh, and, and the people that we met along the way, I, I think they, they understood the business starting from the Japanese company who was also in the payment industry and then Union Bank, which is also in the fintech industry and Sendit, whom I think uh, has one of the closest uh, business model that we have in the region. So they get also what we understand. They, they get what we are doing. So uh, it has been, uh, you know, luckily I didn't have those nightmare investors that, you know, that people would quarrel and then eventually they get, they get kicked out by their own uh, board. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, but the, the the interesting thing I'm just realizing right now is that you never put up this company thinking that you were going to be a startup, right? I mean, it's, I mean, oh. I think I'm going back. It's about 11 years ago. So you were thinking. I mean, it's probably one of the farthest things from your mind to imagine it like how a startup would raise money, how a startup would be. The business model is totally different. There's just to put up the company as a traditional business. Uh, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, actually, I, I didn't really even think of of putting up the company then to become a. a um, a full business. It, for me at that time, it was really just a side hustle. So back in 2010, I was still employed <laughs> with another company. Uh, we were in the ISP business back then. And uh, oh, ISP, wow. what yes, a throwback for me. Yeah, dial up, oh, dial up yeah. modems wow. and all that. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I, and I was just looking for a side hustle to earn extra money. So that was, that was basically Dragon P at that time. I didn't really think it would get as big as it did it was a side experiment if it didn't work out all well and good i actually had a day job back then uh but when i saw it was working after a couple of years that's why when i left the day job and decided to go full full time on board okay 
Fantastic story. I, I, I guess when the people listening to us here right now learned a lot from um, from the whole from your whole uh, entrepreneurship experience. Um, and you were just, I mean, it was great that you were able to identify this opportunity much earlier on with alternative payment channels. If you don't mind, let's let's take a step back a bit more now. And I, I want to just go through that entrepreneurial journey uh, which you had, Dick, uh, eleven years ago. Like you said, you gave us a bit of a background. You were actually employed in the company. Tell us a bit more of of you know. We often tell people, as an entrepreneur, you're looking at what pain point were you trying to solve or what does that underserved need? I know that you were looking for alternative payment channels, but how did you come across it? And then how did you eventually set it up uh, at its first iteration? So tell me, what was your background? You were, you were, a, you were an IT guy. You were, you were an employed guy. You were, were you working for the family business? Tell us a bit more than, than how, how you sort of came into this. Well, I, I graduated with a computer science background, uh, so I am a programmer at heart. After graduating from the Ateneo with, yeah, I know you're, I know you're from LaSalle. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we were good friends. Um, so graduating from Ateneo, I went to work for Citibank. So I okay. guess looking back now, that was the start of my, my fintech years, right? So I was already in the financial, my first job was in the financial world. Uh, went to get my MBA in the, in the States, came back, uh, Started my own small ISP, and then my small ISP got acquired by Moscom, which at the time was the the largest commercial ISP. Uh, and then you know, going towards 2010, late going towards 2010, uh, by then the dial-up industry was pretty much dying, and all the small ISPs were getting out of business. Telco DSL was coming in, and you know the tel all the all the internet business was really going to the telco in already at the time. So we had to look for new ways to uh, make money, look for new revenue streams. So I, I guess this, uh, how does the saying go uh, about um, necessity is the mother of all invention? Yes, so exactly. at, at, at that time, we, we had no choice. We had to look for other revenues because definitely the, the internet access business was, was you know, it's, it's gone. So one of the things that uh, we came across with was e-commerce and e-payments. We started with credit cards and and you know the usual PayPal and so on. So that's how it got started, and that's where eventually I saw uh, an opportunity to, hey, what if we start doing this alternative payment? And I started it as a side again as a side hustle until I saw that hey, this could actually get bigger than my day job. So so your, your day, day job, job was actually your day job was actually a company which you put up, right? Uh, no, well, my company was bought by, was acquired by Moscom. So uh, at oh. that time, I was, I was already a, a professional management. I was employed by Moscom. Uh, so Moscom, so it wasn't so my company. company then you, then you, were, you were working effectively for Moscom of the, of the company which they acquired from you. Yes. Okay. And then you tell me, but so, so from there, you said, oh, this, yeah, is, so, this is interesting. Oh. Yeah, so it, it was working. So like uh, the first month, you know, I was telling my wife, hey, we made like 10,000 pesos. Uh, just by doing this side hustle, and uh, I had no zero overhead because I didn't have an office. I was basically still working for Moscow at the time. I didn't have any employee, so I was like doing everything on the side. And then, like on the second or the third month, it was growing by like like ten thousand every month pesos. So at that time, I, I figured, hey, I could already hire someone uh, to help with the customer support, uh, completely home based, just remote. No physical office. Wow! So you're and one of the first work from, one of the first work from home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back, yes, it was a work from home arrangement, and oh. and it just kept growing and growing, and then then it started to become a real serious business, and that's when oh, I, when how I did you, how, did you, how did you start it off, Pala, like at home? I mean, okay, so you said okay, this is a nice side 
hustle? Did you have to do some programming? What did you have to do? Because you were, you were saying you're accepting alternative channel payments. So how oh, exactly yeah. did you, how did you start it off? That, that, that uh, side of it. Hmm. Yeah, so when we started doing online payments from Oscom, you know, I, I, we started getting uh, connections with other companies who were doing online payments. So there was this uh, Canadian company uh, who was offering online bank payments. Uh, and I got really interested in w- what they were doing. And I was trying to figure it out for, for a while until I got that light bulb moment. And then when that light bulb, you know, just turned on and, and I, w- I said to myself, I figured out what they're doing. So uh, so I basically copied this, the model of what they're doing. And since I'm a programmer myself, I pretty much built the system from scratch. So um, I got it working. And then initially, we were offering online banking. But th- then again, this is back 2010, 2010. So there were not a lot of people who were doing online banking at the time. And for the few people who actually did online banking at the time, it was primarily just account balance checking. People were not really doing payments or transactions online. Uh, I guess in the same way that even today, when you go to an ATM machine, people only do one thing, either check balance or withdraw cash. They don't really transact and do more sophisticated things. So uh, when we started, uh, I thought that it's going to go like gangbusters, just doing online banking. But reality quickly hit me in the face. And I realized, you know, there's not a lot of people doing online banking. So we had to do a very quick pivot. So I went to, uh, to do cash payments, over-the-counter cash payments through the banks and started talking to, you know, the Bayad Centers, the LBCs, the Cebuanas. And basically, that's when business really grew. And, and, and you know, the rest is history from there. So in other words, you, you had to find a different use for the technology which you created. Yes, I realized that even though I was uh, enamored by the technology of it, the market wasn't quite ready for it and that the Philippines was still a cash-based society. So we had to change the model very quickly and support cash payments. And uh, back then, cash payments was like 80% of our volume or if not more because online banking back then was very small. Even Gcash back then was really tiny. Yeah. Of course, it's a different story today. Different story today, no? So, yeah, I, I love that. So you started off with a side hustle of 10,000 pesos. Uh, then you realize all of a sudden, okay, cash payment is king. So that we've got to transfer the, the channels and, and bring it uh, towards this one. Um, was there a point when you were doing this one and you were doing the side hustle where you felt like, you know what, it's not, I, I want to give up. It's not worth the hassle. Let me just stick to what I'm doing here right now in Moscow. I mean, many entrepreneurs go to that, that yeah. stage also as well, no? No, I, thankfully, I never did because it just kept growing month to month wow, uh, without stopping. And again, remember, I didn't have any overhead at all. No office space, no utility payment, no rentals, nothing. So everything that we were earning from fees is basically income already. So, you know, with, with, with the growth that we were seeing from month to month, it was really sort of a no-brainer to eventually drop what I was doing and, and just focus on the, on the business. Wow. Okay. Tell me that inflection point when you were doing, I guess, Dragon Paino. When, when, when you all of a sudden you realized, oh my God, this is going to work. This is going to grow big. Was there that point? Lang, like for me, I often tell people my feeling about my own business, Mercato, was one day I was just standing in the middle of the market one day. Then there was just a throng of people coming in and out. I was going, wow, we, we built something. I mean, what did that point come from? Going, oh my gosh, this, this thing is going to explode. Back then, again, I was not really, I didn't really imagine it to be this big. Um, 
I was happy to earn, you know, like an extra 100K, 200K as a side hustle. Uh, and I thought that was like really a lot already at that time. Uh, again, but not in my wildest dreams would I expect it to, to, to grow as much as it did. Wow. So, so tell me now, um, now, what is the current state now of, of Dragon Pay? Uh, how many, uh, did you have to iterate any further getting to the current business that you're doing right now? How different it is from when you started off as just purely uh, really a payment channel to, I mean, as a cash payment channel to, to what it is now? Uh, what is the sort of like evolution that you realized to get to where you are? Well, we are pretty much really f- uh, stuck to our core uh, uh no, you know our core business, which is really just to do online payments. And uh, over the years, as new payment options come in, we just keep on on uh, supporting because the new payment options. Because it has always been our philosophy that we want to allow as many people to pay using whatever channel they want. Uh, so whether it's a big e-wallet like a GCash or uh, you know the small up-and-coming wallets, we do support all all of them. Uh, we're still looking at things like you know like crypto as a form of payment. So any interesting technology that comes a long way, uh, we would try to find ways and means to integrate it into our platform and to be able to accept all sorts of payment. Now, having said that, I mean, the fintech space, there are a lot of players who want to come in. And I'm guessing that's also why Zendit came together and said, hey, let's, let's already work together right now because strategically, we look like the best. But there are also a lot of, a lot of players who, who want to come in right now because they're seeing the Philippine space, they're seeing many people coming in to pay, they're seeing the, the power of the wallet here in the Philippines. Um, how would you classify it in terms of what would be the, I guess, what we call the unfair advantage or the secret sauce that, that, gives, that gives you that, that advantage other, other players might want to come in? Is it your ability to understand the, the hyper-localness of the market? Uh, is it something about the technology that you've developed? Uh, he, I think one of it would be what you said, uh, understanding how uh, people pay locally. But I guess in a lot of way, it might be just the first mover advantage, simply because we have been around for 11 years. I guess it's a more trusted brand already. We are stable. We are entrenched in the community. You know, you can trust us with your money. It's basically that problem that I had from the start when in, we're in, I couldn't I found it hard to convince large corporations to take on a small payment gateway like DragonPay back then. Uh, so I would imagine that, you know, fast forward to today, we're now in that position wherein we can say, hey, we've been around 11 years. Would you rather trust your money to us or to this one-year-old startup that might fold overnight, right? So so uh, I, I guess it helped uh, the fact that we have been around. And again, the investors that we've had over the years, you know, we could basically tell people that, hey, a bank invested on us. So even banks trust us, right? So it adds to the mystique of the, of the whole uh, trust issue that people would tend to have. Exactly, exactly. Now, uh, when I'm looking at the company right now, the, the one thing I'm also thinking about is that, you know what, this crisis has been a silver lining. I mean, you know, there, there are winners and losers in this crisis. And obviously, one of the big winners is fintech because oh, everybody, everybody started to shift um, online to make their payments. Um, we often ask companies, you know, when, when they come on the show, what pivots they had to make in the pandemic to adjust to the new normal. But Kayanaman, I, I guess it's a different problem. Yours was that, oh my gosh, there's this much demand right now for our services. What did you guys have to do to adjust the man in terms of, of, of this pandemic so that you could, you could capture all the opportunity that was coming in um, well, because yeah, when, of this well, pandemic? 
when the lockdown started last, um, was it March or April of uh, 2020? March, yeah, of March, course, oh. March, right? So, of course, we were also afraid, you know, like, what's going to happen? Will will people just stay at home and not buy anything and then just hold on to their cash? And, you know, things that were running through our heads were, uh, how are we going to meet the payroll of our employees yes, uh, if, yes. if, oh, if people stop about. buying, right? <laughs> so, but, and transactions really dipped when the lockdown happened i guess it was like you know everybody was confused and didn't know what to do next and and there was like a lull of like a couple of weeks but when april started that's when we started seeing the transaction really going up very steeply and and i guess people sort of figured out that it's not the end of the world that you know we can start uh doing uh our shoppings now uh, from home so for us, uh, I think the only big adjustments that we really had to do was working remotely. It was you know like we were not really prepared to uh, to have people working from their homes, uh, doing sales calls with Zoom back then. It was like <laughs> it was a whole new world for us. Uh, so it was just getting used to those things. But as far as the business itself is concerned, we didn't really have to adjust much. Thankfully, the, the whole thing was uh, told to our favor. But of course, you also mentioned that in, in the, when, when this pandemic hit, that there, will, there were going to be winners and losers. And I'm hoping that you know, everybody will turn out to be winners at the end. And I guess it's just a matter really of, of adjusting. Uh, of course, the most hard hit are, are like the, the, the restaurants, uh, retail stores, but it doesn't signal the end of the world for them because they could always change their business model. Like what, what you know, Mercato Central is, is, is basically doing is reinventing itself to work with the new normal. Hey there, my name is Chloe. Just dropping by this podcast to tell you that I'm on one too. It's called The Great Connections Podcast. Over there, we talk about the lives of Filipinos overseas at ang descarte sa buhay OFW. So go ahead and listen to The Great Connections Podcast after you finish this episode, okay? The Great Connections Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms. See you there! The Great Connections Podcast. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah. Exactly, because if, if we don't, we can make it. I mean, I guess, I guess, like, it's what to share about as people are listening to this one. Um, it was actually my exposure to the tech startup ecosystem, which made me realize that you know, if I had stuck to how people would define what a restaurant is uh, or how, how a food business works, then we wouldn't have been able to make the pivot. 
But for me, it was also understanding that, you know, uh, we are, you know, what, what I saw as myself is as I'm a small food business incubator. I can do that in a brick and mortar capacity, which is, the, which is obviously the, the outdoor market. Or I can also do it in a digital capacity, right? Or, or I can but, bring it online. Yeah. But even before the pandemic, people were already open to the concept of buying food through, you know, the likes of Food Panda or Grab right, Food. You right. ordered. So it wasn't really as big a shift as, for example, as compared to online education. That's you right. Know, like oh. Three, four years ago, if you're going to say that kids will no longer have to go to school and then they'll just be seeing their teachers and classmates through Zoom, people would have probably said you're crazy, right? That was even more exactly. unimaginable. And yet, life went on, the schools adapted, and... Even up to now, we're still in online schooling. It's been two years. That's right. That's right. Um, I keep in mind one more question. Also, going into into your whole background over here. No, I mean, it's eleven years doing this business. There was a lot of uncharted territory, and for many of the people who are doing business, they often look for, I guess, uh, entrepreneurs, people who are who or, or mentors during this time. And you know, um, for me, we're we're very lucky that on on our on, in our company, we've got people like uh, Professor Andy Ferreria. From the Ateneo Center for Entrepreneurship, my wife went there to do her master's for entrepreneurship. You're very lucky to have him on board. Another one is uh, Jose Jomag Magsesay Potato Corners, part of our board as well. So he, they, they, they helped provide us some mentorship during these, when things got rough or even when things were okay. I mean, they, they helped us provide some direction or at least know where we were going. How about for you, Dick? Who were the sort of like your, your mentors as, as you were in this journey? Because this is, this, is this is an interesting ship that you're, you're carrying over here. Uh, I, I re- there was really no uh, like specific father figure or, or you know, like uh, the, the mentor that you're referring to that, you know, I would go to whenever I had questions. I guess it re- didn't really happen that way. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, I just have to be thankful that things work out well. Although, of course, there were rough uh, seas as well uh, during the whole journey. And it was more really of uh, family support, I think, at the end of the day, that that made it work for us. So, of course, my family, my wife, our, uh, my parents, her parents, the whole family support systems, my my in laws. So it was really not a single person, but rather just a whole family support system that, that helped us. I, I get that. And then, so um, the the rough patches. Let's talk about the rough patches a bit, no? What sort of helped you through that? Both when it was, you know. Because there's two types, but there's, there's both the emotional rough patch and there's also the, the business rough patch. What would be your tips for, for the younger ones who are going, or, the, or people, not even young, right? people can be whatever age, but how did you get through those, those, those two times? Right? Because I'm sure there were the ups and downs for well, you over the, here. Yeah, there was the, the, the big one that we really had was, I think, back in 2016 or 2017. It was a, a, a financial issue. It was like a technical slash financial issue. And we were hit hard uh, because, because of, of something that happened. And, and at that time, I thought it was almost like a, a death knell ready. We were considering, you know, is this it? Uh, but thankfully, again, it was really through the help of, of the family support that helped us, you know, go past through it. And now looking back, we just, you know, we say that uh, we learned from the lesson and that uh, it was just part of the growing pains. And yeah, so it, it was really still going back to family support. I, 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 uh, I, I, I get exactly what you mean. I mean, uh, I, run, I run my business together with, with my wife. And, you know, uh, aside from our mentors, it's actually also our 
parental units who were both entrepreneurs on both sides. So, you know, they, they keep you going and they keep you going and they keep you. I think it's also very important for many entrepreneurs to be also with other entrepreneurs as well. Just so that yes. it, the, the sort of spirit that it, that it has is it's, 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 it's invaluable, I guess. No? You and, don't and, see and, it, but yes. it's, it's very important. And, and we can feel that kind of community even with our startup PH group, right? Like somebody oh, would right. make an announcement and then everybody, yeah, yeah, go, rah, rah, rah. Oh, so uh, exactly. I, I really like that spirit where wherein everybody's like, you know, like pushing each other up. So where exactly do you see Dragon Pay in the next few years? So now you've got a new vote of confidence. You've got a bit more financial resources uh, with the strategic investment of, of, of course, send it. Where do you plan to take the company in the next few years over here in the Philippines? And do you plan to also expand out of the Philippines as well? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, I think Sendit has a very, uh, an excellent uh, tech stack, uh, having come into the game much later than we did. So uh, we will be looking in the coming years, we, well, in the coming year or two, we would uh, really be focusing on uh, merging our technology. Uh, we would want to ride on their their technology, their tech rails. At the same time, we're excited to extend uh, its capability to our existing base. And we and you know, modesty aside, we do have uh, a pretty good user base already at this point in time, ranging from small, uh, medium-sized businesses all the way to large enterprise clients. And uh, and you know, we just see a lot of synergies that will come out of this uh, uh, partnership with with Sendit. Fantastic. But since Fesem is already an Indonesian-based company, do you plan to also go out into, into, uh, into other Southeast Asian countries together with Sendit? Well, what, what's, the, what's the plan there? Yeah, well, well I'm, I'm sure they will keep growing and, and you know, going to the other ASEAN countries. And, but again, with, with uh, payments being hyper-local, I've, I've always had that question asked of me wherein, you know, why don't you take Dragon Pay to countries uh, similar to the Philippines, like Bangladesh or Sri Lanka, or you know those countries were in the demographics is fairly similar to the Philippines. And I've always said the same thing that payments tend to be very hyper local, and and it might not work bringing just simply transplanting it right. So and I think what Sendit is doing is as it slowly grows from country to country, they are customizing or localizing their system to work uh, natively in that country. So we would want to eventually take advantage of that growing network that they will have and be able to support things like cross-border transactions. Uh, you know, people in Indonesia being able to buy things here in the Philippines and pay using their Indonesian payment methods. Or in the Philippines, people buying goods from Indonesia and paying through the neighborhood convenience store. So um, as, as their network get bigger, we would be excited to be part of that uh, growing network. Wow, really great stuff. I love that. I like, I like how we're seeing how it, it, there are many different ways to grow. I like that. There are many different ways to grow the company. <laughs> and, and having said that, uh, one of my last questions really to you, Dick, no, is this one. I often ask, you know, if you had the opportunity right now, we ask people about emerging opportunities, right? Like, for example, Dick, if you had the time on your hands to pursue other opportunities which you see are emerging in your space, it might not be directly related to fintech things, but maybe you're seeing something, oh, my gosh, this is a this is a big opportunity I see happening in this industry or within the fintech industry. I wish I just had more time to pursue it. What would have been these other opportunities which you think are very you know, which if, if pursued right now would would continue to grow? Or it's it's very good, especially during the new normal. Hmm. Well, I, I think one technology that is very close to fintech uh, is AI and machine learning. 
artificial intelligence machine learning as as to the exact uh, applications that you can do with it it's so broad you know it can range everything from uh uh from credit checking to fighting fraud to doing buy now pay later or installment payments there mm-hmm. there is just so much things you can do with uh with data science and fintech and i guess if i had more time i would be very interested in you know just learning data science from scratch you know i've, I've tried yeah. dabbling a little bit with machine learning but unless you really spend i think a lot of time with it it's kind of hard to grasp and really appreciate the applications that you can do with it i see and in terms of the local fintech scene are there pockets of areas where there's still underserved needs where people can still continue to grow their businesses in i think the local uh payment scene is still in a very early stage uh if you compare, for example, the Philippines with Indonesia, in Indonesia, there's like, a, I don't know, like a hundred payment gateways. Here wow. in the Philippines, there's like only really a few large ones who at least has been around for a little bit of time and, and you know, are not really the fly-by-nights. So the market is very large, and yet there are not really that many reliable players in the market. So I, I think it's still a, a blue ocean here. Uh, a lot of places to grow. Uh especially outside of Metro Manila. And I think during this pandemic, we have been you know, getting a lot of inquiries from, from even small regional schools who are looking for ways to accept online payments. So it just goes to show that there's really a very large untapped market uh, here locally that you know, we don't really have to kill each other at this point uh, to fight over a single client. So a lot of growth. And, and as long as you come into the market and you have something new to offer, and and it has a real value. Of course, if you come into the market and just give you know do a me too type of product and not really add any value to it, uh, and I guess that is probably true for any industry, right? You probably right. wouldn't really last long. So you have to bring in something new. And again, we, we th- thankfully we were here for a long time, and I guess the first mover advantage has uh, worked to our favor. And of course, also at the same time, I would I would presume it's the it's understand. Yeah, aside from being the first mover on top of that, but it's also the hyper local knowledge of how payments are done here in the Philippines, and I guess that's been very helpful to you as well. Um, Dick, yeah. having said that, no, there are people here uh, again, no, uh, listening and enjoying what you're having to say. So, for the entrepreneurs out there who are just starting off a business, especially during this new normal, uh, what are your tips for the aspiring entrepreneurs? Things that you've learned over the past eleven years, if you were to condense it and sell your memoirs, or you know, share some bullet <laughs> points on on. on on entrepreneurship, especially here in the Philippines, what would those tips be for you? You know, I, I gave a talk before, uh, back when we were we still had the the luxury of having physical meetups, and and people were asking, you know, what made you uh, feel that you were ready to go out? And and I was saying at the time, it was actually a bit difficult for me because ten years ago I was already forty years old, and at forty, it was it's it's difficult for you to just you know transplant yourself or leave a stable uh, job and then just to take the risk. So I was telling the people at that particular uh, uh, you know, uh, meetup that I've, I've always felt that younger people had the luxury of failing because at a younger age, if it doesn't work, you, know, you can always try something else. But when you're already at 40 and you have kids by the time, you just don't have uh, a lot of options because you, know, you cannot just a lot of risk anymore. Um, so bringing it back to your question of what is now, since we have sort of like, a, we almost did like a reboot of our entire system. It's like we reset everything, right? And it's almost like we're starting from a clean slate. 
So for a lot of people, I think this is a great opportunity. You have nothing to lose. Maybe for some people, they might, might have lost their normal job. So what more have you got to lose by starting something else, right? So if you're young, there's a lot of opportunities right now. Some people see a glass half empty. Some people see a, a glass half full. So if you're the optimistic type, uh, you know, by all means, e-commerce, I think, is really the way to go right now. If you are not uh, that technically savvy or you might not have the technical resources to do it, you could always look for you know, potential tech co-founders or you can look for platforms. Right? Like you mentioned earlier, if you're in the food business and you, have, you don't know anything about online ordering, food del- online delivery, online payments, then you go to a platform like Mercato Central who will do that for you. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have all the ingredients yourself. It's really finding you know, a different business model and finding people to work with you. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Dick, for sharing that. I, I, learned, I learned so much in this journey here as well. Hopefully, I, I hope to be able to apply those lessons there as well. Uh, just in case there are companies out there who might be interested to, to use DragonPay for their own uh, MSMEs, for their own companies, how do they get in touch with DragonPay? Uh, just go to our website, www.dragonpay.ph and click the contact us. <laughs> and we'd be more than happy to uh, do an online meeting with you and explain what we do and uh, get you guys online as up. Fantastic. Again, thanks so much, uh, Dick Chi, and congratulations again on your great job, your strategic investment together with Sendit. You'll be growing, of course, DragonPay here in the country. And thanks for being you know, a light of hope and really helping people transition towards a payments here in the new normal. Again, this has been RJ Ledesma for the RJ Ledesma podcast. If you really like our podcast and you're enjoying and learning a lot from it, please subscribe and invite more people to listen to the podcast. Again, guys, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the evening and the rest of the ECQ. Take care. God bless. Thank you. Thank you, RJ. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. Anything.